Chapter Five of Sir Titus Salt, Baronet: His Life and Its Lessons. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Sir Titus Salt, Baronet: His Life and Its Lessons by Robert Belgarni. Chapter Five. True love's the gift which God has given to man alone beneath the heaven. It is not fantasy's hot fire, whose wishes soon as granted fly. It liveth not in fierce desire, with dead desire it doth not die. It is the secret sympathy, the silver link, the silken tie, which heart to heart and mind to mind, in body and in soul, can bind. Scott the firm of Daniel Salt and Son soon became established in Bradford, and well known in the surrounding district. Their knowledge of the trade, the class of wools they sold, and the spirit of enterprise they manifested, could not fail to be appreciated in such a thriving community. Much of the success of the firm was undoubtedly owing to the practical knowledge of the junior partner, whose manly form and open countenance had become familiar to the frequenters of the wool sales and markets both buyers and sellers liked to do business with him it was not that he had much to say in commendation of the article he sold but what he said was always to the point the rule which he began business with and adhered to throughout his life was to let the quality of the goods speak for itself a good rule which every young man commencing business should adopt as his own it was the rule given by the mother of the crossleys at the outset of their remarkable career and which the wise man long before inculcated upon his son let another praise thee and not thine own mouth a stranger and not thine own lips proverbs twenty seven two were such a rule more observed in trade generally how quickly many exaggerated advertisements would disappear as the business of the firm increased locally it also ramified into the neighboring towns such as halifax huddersfield and dewsbury the senior partner confined himself chiefly to the local trade while the enterprising junior found scope for his energies far and near a gentleman still living remembered him as a young man coming to dewsbury we give his own words mr titus salt came to my warehouse one day and wanted to sell wool I was greatly pleased with the quiet power of the young man and his aptitude for business, but most of all was I struck with the resolute way he expressed his intention of taking away with him that day one thousand pounds out of Dewsbury. Nor was this a mere empty boast, for the same informant says, before he left Dewsbury I myself gave him a bill for that amount. Does not this incident afford an insight into his business habits at an early period of his career? When out at business, he meant business. 
he did with his might whatsoever he put his hand to and it was not with fussiness or manoeuvre he did it but his straightforwardness and quiet yet resolute manner were enough to secure the respect and confidence of discerning men thus he steadily advanced step by step in business though nominally the junior partner in the firm he was in reality its head the father looked up to the son for the practical knowledge he possessed while the son paid that deference to the father's judgment which his experience of the world supplied and that respect to a parent's wishes which filial love dictated this was undoubtedly a critical position for a young man to occupy and one that might have inflated him with vanity or led him early to assert his freedom from parental restraint but no his father's house was still his home the spell of a mother's presence and love was upon him and the influence of the domestic circle served to keep his heart warm and his tastes simple and pure of course living at home with his parents his personal expenses were small so that he was able to save a portion of his income and to open a private banking account for himself it is said he was very careful of his means he early acquired the habit of taking care of the pence knowing full well that the pounds would more readily take care of themselves and this good habit was not abandoned in after life for even in the plenitude of his wealth and the munificence of his gifts he was always careful not only of his money but of such trifling things as blank leaves of letters pamphlets and scraps of paper which were not thrown into the waste-basket but laid aside for use in order that he might husband his finances he scrupulously avoided any expenditure upon himself unless for things of utility no extravagance in attire or ornament no outlay for the gratification of personal vanity would he ever allow it is true that about this period he indulged himself in the purchase of a gold watch but the way he proceeded in obtaining it was so characteristic that it is worthy of being recorded as an example to young men in similar circumstances many young men commencing business would have regarded a handsome gold watch with massive appendages as almost a sine qua non among their associates but mr titus salt inwardly resolved that he would not permit his wish to be gratified until he had worked hard to merit it he therefore bargained with himself that when his accumulated savings amounted to one thousand pounds a gold watch should be his reward the goal set before him was in course of time reached and the prize was fairly won it was no flimsy foreign article he bought but a watch like himself solid in quality thoroughly english in make with face open and honest the true index of right movements within how proud he was of that watch in after life for it was a memento of his early toils and the first fruits of his own industry 
It was worn by him till the close of his life, and when his own hand became too feeble to wind it, he handed it to others to be wound in his presence. Among the associates of Mr. Titus Salt, one individual deserves especial mention, who was his attached friend through life, and perhaps more than any other helped to strengthen and develop his character his name was mr henry forbes this gentleman had but recently come to bradford as a commercial traveller but his vast energy and remarkable talent for business soon lifted him into a higher position and marked him as a rising man Mr. Robert Milligan, with the characteristic shrewdness of a Scotchman, soon appraised the commercial traveller's abilities and offered him a partnership in his business. The firm of Milligan and Forbes has long occupied a foremost place among the merchants of Bradford, and is one of many whose enterprise and wealth have done much to consolidate the trade of the town, and promote its social and architectural improvement. But it is with Mr. Forbes, as the early friend of Mr. Titus Salt, we have now to do. At Horton Lane Chapel they were often thrown together, not only in Christian worship, but in work, Mr. Forbes found in his friend a mind congenial with his own, and a heart susceptible of generous impulses. One rule they adopted together, and observed during their lives, is worthy of imitation, and that was to give a portion of their income to God, through the channels of religion or benevolence. It was well for these business men that they adopted such a rule early in their career, for it is more easily observed by one just rising into wealth than by one who has attained it. The former begins when the heart is uncorroded by the love of money, the latter, if he ever begins at all, when his finer sympathies are often shriveled or dead. To the one, giving yields pleasure and becomes a luxury. To the other it inflicts pain, and is avoided as a nauseous drug. Mr. Titus Salt early began to tread the path of active benevolence. Few men have given more generously of their substance in their lifetime, of which we shall have abundant proof in another chapter. Mr. Forbes was wont to say to his friend, Titus, we seem to prosper in business in proportion as we give, to some persons this may appear incongruous or untrue, but have they not read the following distich? There was a man whom many counted mad. The more he gave away, the more he had. And what is this second line but another form of putting the text of Scripture? There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meet, but it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. Proverbs eleven twenty four twenty five. How strikingly this truth was confirmed in the history of Mr. Titus Salt! His hand and heart were ever open to the claims of religion and benevolence, and yet— the more he gave away, the more he had. 
like the patriarch of old the lord blessed his latter end more than his beginning in the previous chapter we noticed the spirited position taken by mr titus salt in connection with the woolcombers strike in eighteen twenty five to eighteen twenty six we refer to it again as commencing an important epoch in the moral improvement of bradford with which he and mr forbes were identified the disastrous strike was an unfortunate sequel to the septennial festival of bishop blaze the patron saint of the woolcombers in eighteen twenty five this festival was celebrated with greater pomp than ever and the streets had never before presented such a scene of dissipation and frivolity the description of it as given by a contemporary reads like a romance so far as the pageant was concerned but the influence it exerted upon the minds of the people must have been most demoralizing indeed it was a relic of semi-barbarous times and strangely out of character with the present it was an anachronism which evidently ought to be brought to an end so thought the intelligent part of the community but how was it to be accomplished it was like destroying a tree that had stood for centuries in their midst and many voices were loud in the cry of woodmen spare that tree to this question the efforts of mr forbes mr titus salt and others were directed public meetings were held at which methods for the moral and intellectual improvement of the people were discussed lectures to the working classes themselves were commenced to promote this end what was the result the blaze festival was never celebrated again before the next septennial a new order of things was inaugurated a building was hired where educational classes library and reading-room were established several years elapsed before a permanent building was erected but this was the nucleus of the present mechanics institute which has since increased in usefulness and is one of the most prosperous of the kind in the country a school of design in connection with this institute was commenced in eighteen forty eight for instruction in the fine arts and especially in relation to the manufactures of the district may we not in the formation of this institution recognize the foreshadow of that splendid building afterwards erected at saltaire the cost of which was twenty five thousand pounds the object of its erection being the moral physical and intellectual improvement of the work people as for the bradford trade after the memorable strike of the woolcombers it not only recovered its briskness but received new impulse power looms and combing machines gradually came into general use new mills were being continually erected which of course meant business to the wool stapler and especially to the firm of daniel salt and son whose prosperity ran parallel with that of the community from the period when machinery was introduced the worsted industry of bradford increased till the last trace of the ancient woollen manufacture began to disappear and the town became the metropolis of the worsted trade 
as it is chiefly with the worsted trade mr titus salt's name is more intimately connected the uninitiated reader may wish to know the difference between the woollen and the worsted trades the term worsted is said to have derived its origin from a village of that name in norfolk where this kind of manufacture was first carried on worsted goods used to be the staple trade of the city of norwich but owing to neglect of the factory system it was transferred like the trade of various other places to bradford the difference between woollen and worsted manufacture is due in great part to the way the yarn for each is spun yarn for woollen cloth is very slightly twisted so as to leave the fibre as free as possible for the felting or milling process worsted yarn on the contrary is hard spun and made with a much stronger thread when worsted goods leave the loom they require only a superficial dressing and in this respect they differ much from woollen cloths which require elaborate finishing processes in a word woollen fabrics are designed for the attire of men worsted fabrics for that of women worsted yarn was therefore capable of being spun into light fabrics of various quality and form thus affording greater scope for skill and enterprise both on the part of the manufacturer and the wool stapler the brain of the latter was sometimes taxed to supply the necessary raw material for the production of worsted fabrics the wools of lincolnshire and norfolk were in great request and many were the journeys mr titus salt took to obtain them for his busy customers it was in one of those journeys into lincolnshire that he met with her who afterwards became his wife mr whitlam her father was a large farmer who resided at manor house grimsby rich though he was in flocks and herds he was still richer in a large family of eighteen sons and daughters of whom only eight survived the period of childhood caroline was the youngest of all and is now the last survivor we have read in grecian mythology of a certain adventurer who set sail for colchis in quest of the golden fleece and there fell in love with medea whom he brought back as his wife the young wool stapler of bradford was the jason on this occasion the fleece he was in quest of was wool but in her who won his heart and became his wife he acquired a treasure more precious than the fleece of gold nor was he the first adventurer or the last who sailed towards the port of grimsby on the same errand and returned with a similar prize another bradford wool stapler had previously married amelia whitlam it may be that he had brought back a good report of the land and of the fair treasures still left in the manor house of grimsby be that as it may, Mr. Titus Salt had somehow received such a glowing description of Mr. Whitlam's daughters that he ventured on this expedition for himself. We once heard him narrate the story of his love adventure. 
in doing so he smilingly looked at his wife and then as if speaking in confidence to his friends who were near playfully added you know when i went courting i made a mistake it was another sister i was in quest of but this one first met my eye and captivated my heart at once well he knew it was no mistake but that a divine hand had guided him in his choice as the experience of above forty years had already proved another bradford wool stapler was the third successful adventurer to grimsby and became the husband of lucy whitlam so that three sisters came to reside in the same town but it must not be supposed that mr titus salt hastily rushed into matrimony it was not his habit to do anything in a hurry much less in taking an important step like this there was a delay of a year or two perhaps one reason was the extreme youth of the elected lady but another was that his means were insufficient to justify the immediate fulfilment of his engagement love was therefore placed under the restraint of prudence but nothing was lost by this delay on the contrary much was gained to himself a new impulse was given him in the prosecution of business which was sustained by a high and noble motive as his personal skill and industry had previously won an inferior prize why might he not now redouble his efforts to reach a higher goal and possess the prize that love had already won? This he resolutely determined to do. We therefore find him henceforward devoting his time and energy to business with an enthusiasm unknown before. He seemed burning with an ambition to strike out new paths for himself and to become a leader in commercial enterprise. The father was quite satisfied to work on the old lines, but he was unable to restrain the ambition of his son, who seemed to him like the Athenians of old, always delighting in some new thing this was a striking feature in mr titus salt's character which subsequent events illustrate he possessed what might be regarded as the inventive faculty which had it been directed to mechanics would perhaps have led to eminence like that of george stephenson indeed the construction of his mind had considerable resemblance to that of the famous engineer whose practical sense honesty of purpose and determination in carrying it out are well known his quiet yet searching eye seemed always gathering materials for his busy brain to work into something practical the first attempt outside the lines of his ordinary business was in the utilizing of raw material heretofore unappreciated in the worsted trade with the increasing demand for long wools the idea suggested itself to mr titus salt why should not the donskoy wool be used in the worsted as well as the woolen manufacture this wool as its name indicates is grown on the banks of the river don in the southeastern parts of russia it is a coarse and tangled material apparently unadapted to the production of a fine fabric 
but to his eye it had possibilities of lustre and fineness in it, which were well worthy of a trial. Having invested in a large stock of this Russian wool, Mr. Titus Salt was naturally anxious to dispose of it to his customers, but they declined to become purchasers. This was rather a trying time for the wool-stapling firm of Daniel Salt and Son, and especially for the junior partner, whose speculative tendencies had involved them in this seemingly unprofitable investment. What was to be done with the article on hand was the problem that perplexed the firm, and which Mr. Titus set himself to resolve. He resolved that instead of asking the manufacturers to purchase it, he would utilize it himself. For this purpose he took Thompson's Mill, Silbridge Lane, Bradford, and having fitted it with suitable machinery, he proceeded to spin the Donskoy wool into yarn and weave it into fabric. The result of the experiment was entirely successful the fabric produced was such as to astonish and convince the most sceptical of its commercial value and to place him in an enviable position before his fellow-townsmen successful in this first experiment he added a larger factory in union street trade grew so rapidly under his hands that in a few years he was carrying on not only the two mills above mentioned but also hollings mill brick lane mill and one in fawcett court his intention when he commenced the manufacturing business was to confine himself to spinning this course he pursued for some time and disposed of his yarns to the messrs Fisson but some misunderstanding having arisen with that firm he with his characteristic decision resolved to spin and weave for himself thus his first experiment in manufacture was crowned with success not only was the practical knowledge he acquired with the ruses utilized but a new staple in the bradford worsted trade was introduced but this was not the only reward of his skill and perseverance. The higher goal on which his heart was set was at last reached, and Caroline Whitlam became his wife. They were married in the parish church of Grimsby on the 21st August, 1830, the bridegroom being 27 years of age and the bride only 18 the home they first occupied was situated at the bottom of manningham lane not far from the residence of mr salt senior to whom the remarkable success of his son was a matter of paternal pride how proud he was to speak of our titus and of the position he had attained little did he know that his son was only at the threshold of his commercial success and that the homely phrase our titus would come to be adopted by the community as familiarly expressive of their affection for one who had become their adopted son and of whose noble and distinguished career they were all justly proud End of chapter five